ladies and gentlemen, we're going to take you all the way down in New Orleans this time. Ladies and gentlemen, by COVID reactions last week, it hit COVID me. vaccine, vaccine oh, reactions. Vaccine reactions, excuse me. Be very specific. We are not contagious or anything. <laughs> but the last two weeks, I got my COVID vaccine, my second COVID vaccine, and I was down on Wednesday. This week, Ross got his second COVID vaccine, so he was down on Wednesday. But our commitment to this episode every week of doing the double patrol we said we got to do it we have to make it work and so even though it's friday we're gonna give you the dome patrol That's so right. ross jackson joins me <laughs> ross how you feeling much better man much better i finally feel like myself again it's funny like the i got it probably about 1 p.m and then I started to feel the reactions about 9 p.m. that night. And I had sort of tried to strategize it a bit and be like, yeah, you know, it's going to hit me right when I go to sleep. And then I'm going to sleep through most of it. No. <laughs> the entire day after it hung with me. The entire day after that, it hung with me. But I'm finally back to feeling like myself again, man. How are you feeling? I'm good, finally, yeah. Because it's it took yeah. me about two and a half days, too. Yeah. The arm was the least of it. Yeah, like I didn't. The arm, the arm wasn't didn't really me my problem on the right. second one. The first time, my arm hurt for two days. Right. The second one, my arm really didn't bother me. It was everything else. It was just I just didn't <laughs> just feel literally. right. I was slow. <laughs> I was right. groggy. I wanted to sleep a lot, and and I just my I couldn't really eat. I had I didn't have much of an appetite for those mm-hmm. two days. It was weird, but yeah. I'm past it, and and I'm just, I, you know, I got that Pfizer, so I might have to get a third one. Oof. But you're you're good. You're straight. Yep. You know, it's like a gang thing now. Like, what are you? You Moderna? Which you Moderna? Which you? What you said? What you said? What you claiming? Can I hang out with you? Right? Can we even be here together? You set tripping right now? (laughs) 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 That's right. (laughs) (laughs) Oh man! I got that PF. We gotta have the blue flags and the red flags, but it's gonna be the symbols of the uh, pharmaceutical companies hanging out of there. Everything. That's what Big Pharma always wanted. Wanted to get to the streets. Now they've done it. Now they've done it. That tattooed RX on there, you know, the similar. Like this is what they've been waiting for. This is what they've been waiting for. How do we get to the streets? How do we get Instead to the streets? Instead of a tattoo, you get a tattooed uh, syringe on your right. eye. Right. You know, yeah, it's, it's little drops coming from a syringe. The syringe is right here, and then it's drops coming out of the syringe. Oh man. Um, not a giant news week. For the New Orleans Saints, um, just right. one signing. Uh, bring in mm-hmm. former Tulane wide receiver and, and son of former Saints special teams artiste uh, JJ McCleskey. His son Jalen McCleskey uh, signs as a wide receiver. Uh, you like the signing? Um, I think it's it, yeah. JJ. I mean, Jalen has potential. He has speed for sure. He's mm-hmm. got speed for days. He um, his production his last two years at Tulane I think was a lot to do with the quarterback position there at Tulane mm-hmm. as well because we had seen his talent prior to him transferring to Tulane. Um, I think he's an interesting camp invite. Yes, and to see if he can maybe be uh, um, a slot replacement type for an Emmanuel Sanders, you know, to play that uh, some of those slot uh, possessions. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, I, I like the signing mostly because like I love the stories of the hometown guys getting opportunities with their hometown teams. And, you know, the fact that the symmetry of his father coaching DBs at Tulane and him being at Tulane and then his father being a former New Orleans Saint and now him being a New Orleans Saint. Those are the things that I really like about it. I, I was pretty high on him coming into his draft, going through his draft process but then started to see the question marks kind of stack up as we got like actual measurements and things like that, right? The two lane measurements were about two inches taller, a little bit heavier, things like that, you know, the usual stuff. And so, you know, that those were things that were concerned that were a bit of a concern as we saw his height officially hit around five foot nine, his weight officially hit around 160, 170, uh, 180 in some places, but most consistently around the 160, 170 area. 
Uh, and then his 40 time at his pro day at Tulane was an unofficial 428, 429, but then was adjusted to a 443. Now, let's not pretend like 443 ain't fast. Like 443 is faster than I will ever be able to dream of running. But, like, you know, it, it was that's a big difference in terms of stock raise as well as like stock staying static, right? And so. Those were the things for me. But when it comes down to what he could potentially do for New Orleans Saints, it's it's right there with what his father did as well is with special teams. I mean, he could make the team as a special teamer. The Saints are going to be looking for a replacement as a gunner. He has the long speed to be able to do that. He's somebody that could potentially be there. Now, I have to be able to see that at his size, he can tackle somebody and then he can bring somebody down. Now, he's not going up against the heaviest of folks at punt returners, but he is going up against some pretty strong, you know, jammers and things like that at the line of scrimmage and punt coverage. So that'll be what'll be interesting. Interesting to watch during training camp. That will very likely be his most, uh, let's say, direct Best way to, yeah. yeah, yeah, to a roster. But even if he goes out there and he shows that he can do that a little bit and he can do a little bit from the slot, then you know maybe he he latches on as a, a potential continued development prospect on the practice squad, which is just as good because we see oftentimes those practice squad receivers oftentimes end up getting opportunities in game for New Orleans, even if it's one or two games a season. Right. And, and that's all you're looking for is the opportunity. Mm-hmm. Uh, right. What you do with it is on you. And you know for a fact that if Sean Payton's bringing you in, he's not bringing you in just to waste his time. Right. They have a vision. They have they a vision. They saw for something you in do. you that, you, that they want to apply and see if you fit in that role. Yeah. It, it reminds me very much of the, uh, the Cyril Grayson signing from a few years ago. To where they brought him in and you know he had that long speed and he made some plays during camp but what can he do on special teams and how can he contribute that's where you might see Jalen McCleskey be able to do that and it could be the it could be the coverage side of it it could also be the return side of it too with the speed that he has and with the size that he has we've seen Deontay Harris be able to turn that size and speed combination into being somebody that's very shifty with good short area quickness and elusiveness to be able to be uh, an all pro returner Right. So we could see something like that as well as a, another role that could fold in and help McCleskey, you know, whether it's making it onto an active roster at some point or at least lashing onto the practice squad. And the Saints did not have a second return person last year. Right. Yeah. That you're looking at Taysom Hill or, you know, uh, or Alvin Kamara and Marquez Calloway has some experience there, but it's a different return game in the NFL than it is in college. Yes, and it's about that shift, um, those quick uh, movements in short spaces, reading a hole and exploding through it, those types of things, and and it's a it's a it's a very particular skill set. Yes, it is yes. a everybody people. I don't think people understand how hard it is to be a great return man yeah. in the NFL. There are very few. That's why mm-hmm. you can count the ones that are truly great. Yeah, really. On if if you get to eight, you know, eight or nine, like mm-hmm. in the in the history of the league, right. Like that's what we're talking you probably, about. Probably, yeah. And and if you get to ten, you've probably given somebody too much credit. <laughs> right. Absolutely. Because yeah, I mean, I mean. To, uh, like just quickly off the top of my head, out. You know, obviously, I think Devin Hester is the greatest of all. Devin time. Hester. Mm-hmm. He's the greatest of all time. Yep. Um, behind him, I think that second tier mm-hmm. includes people like Brian Mitchell. Brian Mitchell, um, for sure. You know, for for the ability for him to Billy do it White for shoes, as long as yeah. Billy White shoes, mm-hmm. Mel Gray, mm-hmm. um, Eric Metcalf. Mm-hmm. I throw Dante Hall. Dante Hall, of course. In there. You know, Dante just didn't have a long time at it. Yeah. Dante had like a three-year peak, and then it was boom, it was gone. Yep. Yep. Um, and then, of course, Deion Sanders. Mm-hmm. And you say, well, Deion didn't have the numbers, but the proficiency. Yeah, it was ridiculous. The, ability, the yeah. timeliness right. of Deion's returns, the ability to say, in this moment, he could call his shot. We've seen him do it in the yep. episode. Like, <laughs> like, I'm going to score on this return, and then he would do it. And it's, you know, I mean, there are very few guys that return people. We saw with Desmond Howard, too. Desmond Howard, return yeah. guy who won an MVP mm-hmm. of a Super right. Bowl. Um, it's just, it's a rare, rare thing. So that yeah. it's, it's, it's a hard job. It is a it hard is. job. It is. I got to quickly shout out the beer man, too. Michael, yeah, Lewis. Michael Lewis. I mean, the got Saints it, have always had out. a great. They've done a very good job with it. That, Tyrone the, Hughes, right? Bill Gray, right. Michael Lewis. I mean, they've yeah. had guys make. That's three separate guys who have been to the Pro Bowl as returners for the Saints. Yeah, and you can add. Uh, you can add. Um, uh, Deontay Harris to that to the All Pro list at least. Yeah. With that, um, and then the other part of it that I would mention too is like, well, not the other part of it, but like the Saints, like the first franchise touchdown. Was a return touchdown <laughs> to open up to open up their first game. So yeah, it's, it's, it's been a long-standing history. Very good at that position. 
Yeah. You know, like the Saints have nailed special teams positions pretty well. Punter mm-hmm. has always been yeah. solid for the Saints. Mm-hmm. Field goal kicker has generally been a solid position for the yeah. Saints. And yeah, if you you have to look beyond the, you have to look beyond the early Sean Payton era. <laughs> right, right. But I mean, you know, you go from Mort and you right. get it, and then you talk about these last few years in particular. Mm-hmm. The Saints have had some outstanding Absolutely. kickers. Um, yeah. You know, when John Carney came on, when you had mm-hmm. you know all those well, people performed so well. It's, it's very the Saints have done well, and they've had some of the best special teams coaches in the NFL too. That's true too. Yeah, over the years. Yeah, absolutely. Um, there are a few players I do want to talk about who were mm-hmm. uh, have been mentioned around the Saints. Um, let's start with T.J. Carey. Sure. Um, someone okay. the Saints have shown interest in as a cornerback, mm-hmm. free agent from the Colts. Yep. Um, he's been out making some visits himself. Mm-hmm. Um, what do you think now? And as we've talked about this last few weeks, whether it's been Richard Sherman or whomever, um, is T.J. Carey still a high uh, high on the list of Saints potential signees at that position, or is he somebody that's just on the periphery? No, I think we should consider him somebody that is on the list of potential signees. Uh, You know, I I don't think that there are a lot of free agents right now that are in a hurry to sign with teams this close to the NFL draft. I think a lot of them are willing to wait until after the draft so that they're not signed and then immediately replaced. And then all of a sudden they're in a contract that they probably could have gotten better somewhere else. So like there's all of that. And so there's going to be the basically what's going to happen is you're going to see the draft happen and you're going to see a flurry of cuts because teams are going to have replenished certain positions with younger talent and so they might shed you know older talent and so there's going to be a whole new signing market that's going to come up after the draft and the good thing about that is that those those signees don't count against teams compensatory pick formulas so the Saints with having lost Sheldon Rankins and Trey Hendrickson and Justin Hardy and these players that are going to count towards the compensatory pick formulas with the exception of Tano Passanio they haven't done anything yet that ends up counteracting acting any of that and if they don't sign any major free agents till after the draft they'll they'll bring in i believe it's a a third fourth and fifth round pick or a fourth fifth and sixth round pick i can't remember which way it goes but going into next season and they already have the additional third coming in for the second year for terry fontenot so i I think that that's a part of it um but look when it comes down to tj carey he gives you somebody that essentially resets the middle class of your 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 secondary which is really helpful and it's good to have that so that the floor of your secondary doesn't get reached so quickly like it can right now to where you're going directly from not having Janoris Jenkins to being one injury away to being your bottom tier, you know, bottom of the roster replacement to go out there. Now, the Saints showed that guys like Grant Haley and some of these other guys were able to really step in and be able to be better than bottom of the roster guys. But, you know, that was a week 17 game against a backup quarterback and a struggling Teddy Bridgewater and all these other things. And so we have to put that in context. But I do think that TJ Carey is still a signing to watch out for and a potential, let me say a potential signing to watch watch out for because he does help you in a major area in terms of assuring your secondary depth staying with the cornerback position there are roughly um 10 corners in the top 108 draft grades saints got four picks in the top 105 um the corner market is something that we've talked about a lot, just how that drop off because most of those corners are below third round grades a lot of corners right. on this in this draft are late second grade or or really third and lower. Um, it, it's not a deep cornerback roster as far as the as far as grades go right now. Mm-hmm. There may be some potential out there, but just the opinions of those players, um, there's not a lot of depth. With those, with the Saints having those picks, and we talk about the alternating um, nature of their first two rounds of the draft. If you go mm-hmm. offense, you, then you go defense, um, and, and we'll see how things fall. But do you see them potentially again? And we've talked about maybe them, them not moving back. This is not what they do, or move up into the first round. Um, right. This could this be more of an impetus to move back? to be able to grab a corner that you want, still be able to get those offensive and defensive players that you want in the second round and try to focus maybe and try to get more in those two second and third rounds mm-hmm. where those positions are still kind of stopped. Yeah, I do think there's some possibility there. And I feel like if, the, you know, and I kind of said this last year too, but I really do believe it this year, particularly over on the defensive side, which is where the Saints need to have the, the most work to get done is to sort of figure out that is to sort of look at it and say, hey, this is the right draft class for the Saints to make this decision. 
right? This is the right draft class for them to trade back if they should decide to do it. It makes a lot of sense. You have solid second round linebackers. You have very solid second round cornerbacks. You have very solid second, third, fourth round wide receivers. Like there's a lot at the position and you have very solid and deep interior defensive linemen as well. And particularly those that play that three tech uh, pass rusher, interior pass rusher type role, you know, uh, 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 um, Oh, the linebacker out of Louisiana, uh, Milton, uh, I can't remember his last name, but I mean, you have them all there. And so, and you also have some later edge rushers that have just as many question marks as the early edge rushers in this class Mm -hmm. too. So if you can, you know, invest a fourth round selection in Patrick Jones out of Pittsburgh, for instance, as opposed to investing a first round pick in say Jason Owa, who had zero sacks in his final season in college, you might feel a little bit more, uh, you might feel a little bit more comfortable about that. So Those are the kinds of things that I look at, but I do think that the Saints have shown an emphasis, and you've heard them talk about this over the last two seasons now, that they have taken pride in their ability to draft as many players within their first, within their top 100 as possible. And so if, if that is a, a point of pride for them, if that is a point of team building for them, and if you look at this roster, it's filled with a ton of very, very good second, third, and fourth round selections in this draft. When we talk about the success of the Saints draft since 2015, a lot of that has been mid-round success. There's been some first round success, don't get me wrong. Obviously, we can't ignore guys like, you know, um, Marshawn Lattimore and, and Ryan Ramchek. But when you look at Michael Thomas, Alvin Kamara, Eric McCoy, you look at you know CJ Gardner Johnson, so on and so forth, Marcus Williams, like all these guys are second, third, fourth round guys. So with that being the case, I could see them entertaining the idea of trading down, especially once they get on the on the uh, on the clock at 28, to be able to evaluate and see who's there, how many options do we have, how comfortable are we, how far back are we comfortable moving forward, maybe have some deals already in place, and then get the idea of what that board looks like at you know, pick 26, 27 before they hit the board at 28, assuming they don't trade up ahead of that. What would be the financial implications of them getting out of the first round? So it would be helpful because the scale, the scaling of first round selections is greater than that of second and third round. And then the fifth round and then the fifth year option part of it is is nice because you can do what you did with players like Marshall Lattimore and Ryan Ramchick this year to where you just say, all right, we're picking up the fifth round option and we're just going to eat that. But maybe the Saints don't necessarily want to do that and are more comfortable with their ability to retain in-house talent at this point, which they I mean, they've proven that they can outside of the guys that they they feel like it's time to move on from. But if they decide that they wanted to go that route, it just saves them a little bit of money in terms of being able to dictate what a new contract looks like. It's just that it doesn't allow them to dictate a fifth year of that contract. They only get that first three or four years, depending upon where we're talking about the selection being. But again, that's a problem that's for down the road and, and potentially right. thinking about, you know, we're always thinking about the league's revenue growing. Yes, and exactly. The cap growing. So mm-hmm. it's not as big of a problem if you're if we're talking about, let's say, the cap in four years is 50 to 60 million dollars higher than it is today. Yeah. If you got, yeah. you know, what I'm saying you'll figure out a way. You'll yeah, and the Saints, yeah, and the Saints have generally proven that if they want to get a deal done with someone, and I know Ryan Ramchek is probably the exception here, but if they want to get a deal done with someone, they tend to do it the year the before the final year of the contract, right? Like training camp time before the final year of the deal. Michael Thomas, Alvin Kamara, you know, those types of situations, I think you would be able to see them approach that and try to go through that with a second, third, fourth round selection. Jabril Cox. At LSU, mm-hmm. a guy that when he got to LSU, people were talking about as a maybe a mid to late first round pick. Mm-hmm. Certainly fell off um, because of LSU's performance, and he had some struggles too. But it's still a tremendously athletic linebacker. He's had multiple visits. He says with the Saints about three, I think, visit meetings with them. Um, I could see him, you know, again a, a day three pick, a guy who's either third, maybe maybe third round, but more likely maybe a fourth rounder. I think in this mm-hmm. draft. How much interest do you think the Saints really? I think it, it depends on where he is it, uh, on his yeah. availability. 
Yeah, I think the availability, and that's here's here's one of the things that I love about Jabril Cox's schedule here is that he has his pro day because he wasn't able to participate in the May the March twenty second pro day if I remember correctly for LSU because of uh, he was very close to being recovered from a hamstring injury and his trainers were like his doctor was like don't push it don't Don't push it like get through it you're almost there and it will they'll schedule another one for you so that's what they ended up doing but now his pro day is is the week of the NFL draft it's April twenty sixth Monday April twenty sixth and the draft begins Thursday, April 29th. So if he goes out there and he blows testing up, then all of a sudden he's the freshest linebacker on everybody's mind, right? Which is a a really good move by his training staff of making sure that he doesn't put himself at risk too soon and then be a really good move by his publicist in terms of making sure that he's going to be he's going to carry recency bias with him you know uh and and i love that for him so here's the thing about that i love about jabril cox is that he actually does have the prototypical size that works for new orleans six foot three 234 pounds. Now we're going to get more official measurements and everything once we get to the pro day. We'll see where he actually lands on those numbers. But he's expected to run like a 4.63. So that's pretty easy to surpass. And I think if he runs in the 4.5 area, that's going to be a huge boost for his for, for his, uh, his stock. So I do see him as somebody that could push himself into early second round conversation. And when you get a second round grade, it always makes you a potential first rounder. Yep. Because most teams, and they're not all the same, right? 32 teams are going to have 32 different lists, but every team will have maybe at most a low, in terms of the number, low teens. And so I'm talking 13, 14 first round grades. And so usually that means that by the end of the second, or excuse me, by the end of the first round, you're drafting second round talent and everything. Second round grades, let's call it, let's say it that way. So that means that if a team at the bottom of the first round really likes Jabril Cox, but then they don't pick into the bottom of the second round, don't want to risk having to try to trade up, but also don't want to give up the assets. They know that that's who they would want to go for anyway, but don't want to trade back and miss out because that's who they want to go for anyway. They'll just invest the first rounder in that in in that linebacker or in that player. So Jabril Cox could end up being a guy like that. And then especially with him having that pro day very, very close to the draft, that's going to help to elevate his status if he tests as expected or better than expected, which I think is very possible because the expectation is honestly pretty low if, mm-hmm. if a four six three is what he's expected to run, knowing how athletic he is and knowing that he's very much the linebacker safety hybrid type. But the other side of that coin is that if he underperforms, then that's what everybody remembers and that's what everybody brings into the draft. So it is a little risky, but I do like it for him. Uh, But I do think that there's genuine interest there from New Orleans because he is almost, I mean, you add maybe, you subtract about seven pounds from him and he's Quan Alexander. I mean, he's exactly what it was that the Saints had in Quan Alexander, who they traded for at the trade deadline last year um, and unfortunately lost due to injury. And now, you know, he's on his way back in terms of rehabbing and things like that and trying to get back to a team, whether it's the Saints or otherwise. But the Saints may be able to get a younger, healthier version of him in a coverage linebacker that can rush, uh, that can rush the passer from the second level, that can defend the run, that does a very good job scraping and moving laterally, freeing himself of blockers, not getting caught up in congestion. He's really uh, he does quick a solid to, job in pass coverage as well. Yeah, and he's a really, really good coverage linebacker. If I, I want to see if I can, if I can remember the numbers correctly, I know it was over 350 coverage snaps according to Pro Football Focus last year with LSU, targeted 41 times, no touchdowns allowed versus three interceptions and no penalties as well. So. A very very disciplined player. And I don't believe he was ever called for a penalty on a single target throughout his over 1,100 coverage snaps over the course of his entire college career. And that included, I think it was only two touchdowns given up across eight interceptions over the course of his career. So he's a very disciplined player. And I think the Saints would benefit from that. And, you know, you have to take the helmet away. You have to take the the logo on the helmet away and understand that if this is a player that fits and if this is a player that the Saints are very interested in, that's a player that they'll pursue. And I think part of the problem for Jabril last year, too, you transfer from a program where you're very comfortable. You won three national right. championships there. Mm-hmm. You're, you're, you're golden. Right. And you come to LSU because you want to improve your stock. You want people to see you. Right. But Bo Pelini comes in and changes the defense and puts you in a defense that you have not played, gives you a role that you've never had, and puts you around a very young defense where you're the guy and everybody else around you are freshmen and sophomores or first-time starters. Right. And he was asked to do a lot. A ton. 
and be the guy who had to not only be the leader of that front seven, but a leader of guys he doesn't know. Right. Yeah. And, and on a team that was learning a defense that proved to be one of statistically the worst defenses LSU has ever had. So right. it, it's he, he, that affected him so much and the perception that we have of him that if he had come out after his junior year, after winning his third national championship, he might be a solid first rounder right now. Yeah, it, it could be. It's an interesting thing because remember too that in 2020 where he would have come out there, he would have been in a class where only six FCS players were taken, right? A record low. Mm-hmm. And so I think that there was some knowledge of that on the way. And perhaps that was part of the reason why he decided, hey, I'm going to take a graduate transfer year, go to an SEC school and then do exactly like you mentioned and, and, and up my visibility. But you're right. I mean, he was a he was he, there was no doubt about him at all despite the fact that he was playing at NDSU. And then he only answered questions at LSU. The defense around him and the, the system that was put around him failed uh, horrifically. Uh, but he was a bright spot. And he, I don't know that he necessarily hurt his own stock. He was just potentially hurt. hurt. Yeah, he was just potentially hurt by what was around him. Um, and and, and the, I mean the system by that, not right. the players. I mean, all the players are hurt by the system that was around them. Yeah, it just it wasn't the fit. It wasn't right. the fit. And that's, and that's the thing, too, is... The Saints are so good, again, of seeing guys out of the context that they're just in on their college situation and saying, what can they do in our yeah. system? I don't, I'm, not, I'm looking for skills. I'm looking for mental acuity. I'm looking for certain things. I'm not looking at what this guy did just in this system. And the Saints are so good at finding guys and see, like, like it. let's take that Alvin Kamara example. Right. Who got limited carries and limited opportunities at Tennessee and was, uh, you know, under the radar in, in a lot of terms. But the Saints say, I can I identify these skills in him and we can right. do something with that. And, and so I think that that he has that potential. Um, the other uh, thing at that linebacker position is we talk so much about how important it is. And we talk about the level in this draft. It just seems, it feels as if the Saints are pushing more towards taking a defensive player first. Yeah, it's interesting. The odds still have them, you know, if you look at draft props and things like that, the odds still have them as being as going offense with their first selection. But I just don't see it. I really don't. I mean, you look at the first round talent and the second round talent. Let's say that they do trade back. The second round talent, first round talent, and either of those at the defensive positions that they have needs we are where they have needs, which is really anywhere along the defensive line, linebacker and cornerback. So at all three levels of the defense versus where I could see them investing highly on the offensive side, which might be an offensive lineman, but seems more likely to be a wide receiver to pair opposite Michael Thomas. And there's you know, so many receivers, but there's so many receivers. Right. Exactly. And so there's so much. The talent is so much deeper. And where they are at 28, you could kind of I mean. Maybe you can get a Terrace Marshall. Maybe you can go after a Kadarius Tony, who adds a ton of different elements to the team. But then after that, the next best names are really slot receivers. And do you want to invest a first round selection in a slot receiver? I don't think you do. And so defense makes the most sense to me. Linebacker, I would probably say probably for me personally, linebacker, then corner. But I understand corner. It's a really 1A, 1B type situation that are completely interchangeable. And then I would even put interior defensive line up over either of those offensive positions, unless the Saints feel like they need to draft an offensive tackle for the future, which I would completely understand with Teron Armstead being in his final year of his contract and with Ryan Ramchick still presently at this time, at least not extended, I could understand them going into that route. So I would kind of put those there before I would even go to wide receiver. So it, it defense feels like the most likely to me. Mel Kuyper has Zaven Collins going to the Saints in the mm-hmm. first round. Um, what's your thoughts on Zaven? I like Zaven Collins. I think there's going to be some competition questions about him coming out of Tulsa, even though he still played some pretty top competition. But, you know, that's that's a thing that happens with smaller schools. Um, the thing that I like about him, six foot four, 259, 260 pounds. He could probably end up shedding some of that weight if he wanted to and still be very effective in the NFL because of his mobility, his 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 athleticism, the fact that he can move around. The reason why I like him is because we just mentioned that the Saints have needs at linebacker and on the defensive line. Zaven Collins is a prototypical guy in terms of somebody that can go out there and play first and second down as a nickel linebacker beside Demario Davis and focus in run fits as well as in coverage. His size allows him allows him to scrape and block shed pretty 
pretty easily in the run game or pretty fluidly in the run game. But then he does have the agility and the athleticism to provide in coverage as well, which is very uh, exciting at his size as well, because in the red zone, he just takes away throwing lanes for the quarterback by virtue of standing in a passing lane, you know, and so at his size, that's definitely great. But then you could shift him into a pass rusher role because he has pass rusher length and really good pass rusher moves as well on the defensive line on third down. So it gives you a little bit of versatility to where you could potentially, you know, jump into those obvious passing situations with Cam Jordan moving to the inside like they like to do. And then you have Zayvon Collins and Marcus Davenport on either edge going after the quarterback and you have your NASCAR package there. And he becomes a three down linebacker. Let me call him a three down defensive presence, even though he's only playing linebacker for two downs a a drive or two downs per session. One other guy whose name I keep seeing and you know, I, I have an affinity for him because he went mm-hmm. to my alma mater. Um, Jamie Newman, mm-hmm. his name keeps getting associated with the Saints. Obviously, he wouldn't be an early pick. He'd be somebody right. that that you, you try to get in third, fourth, fifth round. Um, I think Jamie has a ton of potential. I don't think mm-hmm. he would be a guy you keep on the active roster his first year. Um, mm-hmm. I think he would end up on your practice squad no matter what franchise he goes to because um, there are some things he missed a year. So you mm-hmm. want to, to, you know, there's some things right. you want to make sure you see out of him. Um, so there's going to be a hard learning curve for him um, as far as the verbiage and, and those types of things and, and, mm-hmm. and taking command of a huddle again. Yep. Um, but the talent is unquestionably there. The arm strength, yeah. um, the ability to move within the pocket um, and extend plays. Um, he is not a runner by nature, but he can run. Mm-hmm. Um you know, accuracy is always the thing when you get to, to that round. It's always going to be a question when right. you get to those kinds of quarterbacks. That's that's why they go in the third, fourth, fifth round is that that accuracy is or there is some failing. And for Jamie, mm-hmm. accuracy is the thing he has to improve on um, clearly and some anticipation a little bit, too. Uh, but could he be a very solid fit? Because, I, again, I don't think Trevor Simeon is is anything other than I got to have three. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, this is the thing that I like about Jamie Newman a lot is that when I look at the Saints plan at quarterback for next season, if if the if if uh, Jameis Winston wins the starting quarterback role, as I think we expect he will, the Saints are going to want to use Taysom Hill as that offensive weapon. They're not going to want to reserve him for a backup quarterback situation. And so having Trevor Simeon helps with that because you have a backup quarterback. But what I like about Jamie Newman is that and I'm not saying he and Jameis Winston are the same player, mm-hmm. but you know I got to watch Jamie Newman throw in Mobile, and his arm is incredible. Like yeah, you, you can't miss it. You cannot miss it. Like it is, it is incredible to watch. And he had the best arm talent at the Senior Bowl this season. And so when I look at at that, he feels like somebody that can maintain a style of play akin to what. Sean Payton would build around Jameis Winston. I can't compare the productivity, the production between the two, because as you mentioned, Jamie Jamie Newman took a year off. He has some things to work out or get back into rhythm of, let me say it that way. And then Jameis Winston has some things to get back into the rhythm of himself, right? So I just look at the two of them as being similar enough style quarterbacks. Everything that you mentioned about Jamie Newman can be said about uh, Jameis Winston, all the way down to the accuracy questions, mm-hmm. right? So I think that that's one of the reasons why I'm so attracted to the idea of Jamie Newman potentially being that quarterback that could potentially draw a selection from the New Orleans Saints in the mid rounds over a guy like Kyle Trask or Kellen Mond or I don't know, KJ Costello. For me, Jamie Newman would be above those guys in terms of that next tier of quarterbacks along with Davis Mills to where it would make sense to have your sort of carbon copy of Jameis Winston just in case so that you have somebody to maintain that style of play should he get hurt without you having to sacrifice Taysom Hill and his role as an offensive weapon in the middle of a game. And Davis Mills out of Stanford is somebody who's also been attached to the Saints Mm -hmm. a lot. Um, The big concern with Mills is his lack of experience. Only 11 starts. Um, And there are times when he's made some very poor decisions um, with the football. He's a guy who does hold on to it a little bit. Mm-hmm. Uh, very Taysom-like in that regard. Yes. Uh, yeah. um, uh, but more physically, he matches up like, a, more physically, he's like Jameis or or Ben mm-hmm. Roethlisberger's side. Very big, very strong yeah. guy. Yeah. Um, arm talent is there. 
But again, his biggest questions are, does he hold on to the ball too long? Has he had enough reps as a quarterback and only making 11 starts? And then um, just, again, that decision-making ability, there's some bad throws on his tape. Yeah, yeah, definitely. And, you know, we were just talking about Jamie Newman being somebody that, you know, lacks in lacks in uh, recent experience because of his opt-out. Davis Mills just kind of lacks in experience, period. So if you want to roll the dice on one of those two, you probably want to roll the dice on the guy that you've seen do it more consistently over time before, and that would be Jamie Newman for me. But, I mean, the benefit to a guy like Davis Mills is that there there isn't, you know, if you if you do find something on him and he, you do feel like he's a diamond in a rough, it's, it, it's easy to get excited about that because of what he, you know, because of what that could represent in terms of you finding that player and your scouting team and everything like that. And we know that, the Saints scouting team is very good when it comes to this NFL talent. You look at the last 37 draft picks since 2015, 31 of them are still in the NFL. And most of them there aren't in the NFL. If you look at guys like Marcus Murphy, Daniel Lasko, uh, Damian Swan, it's mostly injury related that they're not in the NFL anymore. They actually did show some viability, whether it even just be as a special teamer during their time. Rick Leonard is still in the NFL, the mystery fourth round selection by the New Orleans Saints a few days ago, a few days ago, a few years ago out of Florida State. Um, But if they can identify, you know, David Onyemata, who you know, came from Nigeria and then played in Canada, then you could feel pretty comfortable about whatever their assessment of a Davis Mills is, if it's positive. It's just that it would be more of a draft and develop type of a situation as opposed to what some people have connected the Saints to, which would be them taking him at 28, which would be surprising for me because then, yeah, that was uh, one of the talking heads, folks. But that would be surprising to me because then your expectation for a first round quarterback is that he's your future. And I don't think that that's where the Saints are going to. Right. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. Like a very soon uh, type of of a player. And I don't think you can get Davis Mills to that level that quickly. And And so that doesn't make sense to me. I can't see the Saints drafting a quarterback in the first round when you have Jameis on a one-year prove-it, essentially, and you have Taysom to make these decisions on as well. Why would you bring that into the mix? The Mm -hmm. one thing Sean Payton does not like is chaos. Mm -hmm. And I think that brings chaos to your locker room in that regard. Because I don't – the one thing is I I think Jameis and Taysom both mentally – and for Taysom, it has to be a little bit more fragile right now mm-hmm. because he got his opportunity. They re-signed Jameis. They do this deal with him that he knows is not really the deal. Right. He took it because there weren't many options for him otherwise. You can't have either one of those guys if they're the starter looking over because they're already looking at each other. Right. Yeah. You don't so want the them also looking over their shoulder at somebody the else. First round draft right. pick who's, who's firmly going to believe the keys of this franchise are going to be given to me. Right. And, and I, I just think that that forces the issue for those guys and it forces teammates into an awkward position as well, because that's how locker rooms end up going. Like, is this the guy? Is he the guy right. who, who the receivers start kissing ass to to get their catches right. and all these things? Right. It, it's a dynamic that I just don't think the Saints would invite. Right. I agree. OK. Speaking of Sean Payton, I want to get your thoughts on this. The Sean Payton movie. Oh, Kevin James. Listen, Kevin James who looks nothing, nothing. And in no way conveys like people say, well, Sean Payton's not funny. You don't know Sean Payton. You don't know Sean Payton. <laughs> Sean Payton's funny. Yes. But there is a very particular Sean Payton. He's sardonic. He is. Yeah. Um, a, a wry. He is dry mm-hmm. at times, but he's also very cutting with his humor. Right. There is a specific character to a Sean Payton. I, I I get the idea of the movie. I get it. Everybody yeah. goes a pro goes and right. coaches some high schoolers. Fantastic. Cool. But the casting. Kevin James? I think this shouldn't be a comedy. I think this is really a story to me. If you're talking about that year off for Sean Payton. That's a rough I think year. That's something that I would re- I would rather see a 30 for 30 on that year. Right. Yeah, something to document because I think his emotions that year are something that we didn't get to know enough about because mm-hmm. he had to be away from the franchise. Right. We saw that one game where he got to be in the building to watch Drew right. Baker record, and you could see the pain on his face of not being down there with his guys. Right. I would rather have that story. 
than some comedic take on NFL coach goes to high school. Right. Yeah. I'm not into this. First of all, Kevin James is literally one of my least favorite actors of all time. So if he didn't know Adam Sandler. Exactly. Exactly. Yeah. He talk about coattails. <laughs> talk about coattails. But yeah, no, Kevin James is one of my least favorite favorites of all time. And and in addition to all the things that you mentioned, I I completely agree though that like this is not this this film does not need to be a comedy. And at the same time, if the idea is that you're giving Kevin James an opportunity to, you know, try his hand at some, you know, serious subject matter, don't do it with this. Don't do it with this. The this is there's a a population of the world, not just the United States, and it's not just in the South. There's a population of the world that this story means a lot to when you talk about fans that were affected by what happened with Bounty Gate and Sean Payton and everything. Don't go turning it into something that it doesn't need to be. Like give this the respect that it deserves. It's a sore spot. Yeah. And I think if they trivialize it. Right. And Saints fans, again, the Saints are a national team now. This yes. is no longer a team just for the Gulf Coast. Right. The Saints are a national brand. And the Who Dad Nation is everywhere. And mm-hmm. I think that they're, if they don't handle this right, there will be backlash. There will yep. be people who say, you don't do that with our coach. Yep. Not, not ours. Yep. Uh, he's not a joke. I, I just, there, there's something about that that he, you would never see Bill Belichick presented as a joke. Nope. You would you would not see Bill Walsh. You would not see um, Andy Reid. You know, they're not going to portray them as jokes. So I, I just find it strange that yeah. in maybe the most difficult professional year of his career, you're going to make a comedy movie. Right. Yeah. It, it just seems odd. There's so much more good things to mine out of that to yeah. talk to Mickey, to talk to the players, to talk to Sean, to talk to, you know, the, the, those kids in, in Dallas, to have them on and give their retelling of that year. Mm-hmm. And to see what it was like for Sean Payton on a weekend and week out basis as that season was going along and see what his perspective was watching, you know, game one through game 17 and having to watch Joe Vid out there and having to watch this. I would much, I would find that far more compelling. And I think the yeah. average NFL fan would find that more compelling yeah. because you never really got to hear the Saints version of it. And right. you never really got to hear Sean Payton's discussion of that year. He talked about the yeah. money. He talked about going through some things, but he never has really talked about that year. Right. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah. I'm not a fan of it. Um, and the other the other thing that I'll just quickly mention, too, because I know we got to wrap up. But yes. before I, just the one last thing, too, is like. For me, I don't know who the target demographic is for this film. <laughs> unless unless it's King of Queens fans. I don't know who which who are you, but I don't know who the target demographic is for this film. Because it's not the general NFL fan, because the general NFL fan is gonna tune into something that's a little bit more nuanced than this. And it sure is not the Who That Nation. No. I have no not. idea. I have no idea. All right, we gotta close on this one. Yesterday. It's one of the most important days in sports to me and one of the most important days in America. It's it's mm-hmm. um Jack it was Jackie Robinson Day. Um but to lead off my you know on Wednesday preceding that, we get Brett Favre. Oh Lord. Who keeps chiming up every now and then for no reason, really, because I don't understand why he keeps talking about this because he's not adding anything new to the conversation. Nope. But he has been consistently continuing to say, well, people are not everybody I talk to. You can't imagine how many people have told me that they're not watching the NFL because of um, where it's going socially and all these things, which I think the, if you if you're turned off by what the NFL did, which was the bare ass minimum, bare ass minimum, then you are really sensitive here. Yeah. Um, but the NFL didn't have this real suffering that I saw out there. And this is the same Brett Favre who made sure on social media, he told everybody he was going to vote for Donald Trump, which is his right. But this is also the same Brett Favre who said players shouldn't be complaining about money when it was Robert Brooks. or when it was different over the receivers, the same Brett Favre then who demanded his own way. Right. But criticizes other quarterbacks for asking for things who has criticized other people for, for demanding their own um, way. I am tired of this, that, yep. he, that players like him and ex-players like him are given this platform to say what they don't like in this regard without having any factual basis in it. Right. 
And really what they're, they continue to say is, I don't like what you're saying. Right. Not that something is being said because he feels free to say what he wants. Right. Yeah. No, I, I completely agree. I, my only question is, who are the people he's talking to? And where are they? Because he, he ain't talked to us. I guarantee he ain't talked to nobody that looked like us. And I guarantee he ain't talked to nobody outside his town. <laughs> so for me, it's, it's just like, it's a weird thing to come out and say, listen, all the people that I talk, every one of them. All the, which like this type of hyperbolizing sounds very familiar, doesn't it? You can't imagine how many people I spoke to. It's right? very Trumpish. Yes, many people say very familiar. Many people. Many people. The smartest people. <laughs> but you know what I'm saying? Like it, it's it's just a, a, an echo chamber of the same type of rhetoric that we had been hearing for years and years and years around this topic. And as you mentioned, it doesn't add anything to the conversation. It just gets his name on social media. It gets people talking about it and everything like that. But it does cause harm. Is the other thing because it, it creates a narrative for people to latch onto and follow and say, see, I told you, because there's like one person that's entirely removed from this situation that is saying this, as you mentioned, with no factual basis outside of you can't imagine how many people I spoke to. You know what I mean? Like, it's and, just, and where's Brett Favre? Yeah, like you said, where are all these people that because I he's not a social person, right? He's not somebody who's out in the big cities and out there. He's probably I can't imagine he's he's taking a lot of phone calls from the average Joe, right? He, you know, like yeah, what is this basis that you're talking about? If you're talking about South Mississippi, well, yeah, I would imagine that there's some people who ain't happy because right. Mississippi not known for being very progressive. Um, right. So, well, yeah, that's like me, me saying, well, in my house, you know, whatever, the, everybody is telling me that I'm the world's greatest dad. Right. In my house. So right. I don't see how that can't be true. How about that? Yeah, a hundred percent of the people that I poll. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like there's absolutely that. And then there's also a difference between people who say that they're not watching versus what the numbers show, which is that people are still very much watching. You know I mean, you can say, no, I'm taking my stance, everything like that, because you're you're in your home. This is in private. Right. You you have a selection in terms of what you say you stand for when you're talking about if you're boycotting what you're watching at home, who's going to refute you? Right. Like, is Brett Favre going to these people's houses and like on checking Sunday. in on them on Sundays <laughs> at noon? Right. <laughs> like, hey, what you watching? What you watching? Better be good times. You know, I doubt it's that. But I'm just saying, <laughs> you know. It's like it's 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 all um, entirely hyperbolized, entirely out of place and entirely unfounded. It's that's just, where it, I stand on it. It's it, the word in all of that is tired, tired, tired. It's just tired. tired. And, and, and I'm just I'm tired of giving that platform. Because mm-hmm. I don't understand. Ultimately, again, it's 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 the conversation that we've had over and over again. These are not political things. Right. We're not right. Ta- when we're talking about how can you be sa- how can you say that a voting rights conversation is political when you're saying I want people to vote? How can that be a bad thing? What are you right. saying? <laughs> what are, like what parts are bad? Because if you're going to have that discussion and you say people are right. turned off, then give me a solution. Don't just say shut up because that's right. not happening. That that, no. that that can is open. That can't happen. So that can't happen. If that if you if you really believe it's a problem, then you tell me. You tell me, Brett Favre, what's the solution to it? Because right. if your only thing is you want people to shut up, that doesn't solve the ultimate problem. And the problem is going to keep carrying into sports as long as there are human beings playing these sports. Unless you got the Jetsons and, you know, when they went to the robots playing football on the Jetsons. Right. Then you don't have to worry about no politics unless right. the robots get a union. But... <laughs> This is life. These are human beings and they carry their lives into their workplaces. And if it was no matter what the workplace, you are in the entertainment business. There are workplace issues that you have to Mm -hmm. deal with. And some of those issues are not comfortable. Nope. So not at all. Those discussions, it's innately a discussion that's going to happen in the workplace. It is innately going to be something that goes beyond the workplace because I don't stay at the workplace 24 hours a day. Yes. Yep. Absolutely. Absolutely. And look, if the alternative to if the alternative is shut up or don't and the alternative indifference between that is that by speaking and saying something, you're saving lives versus if you're speaking and saying something that you're alienating this small population of viewership, you take the option to alienate the small 
population of viewership in order to affect positive change. Uh, uh, 10 times out of 10, 11 times out of 10, 12 times out of 10. That's the right decision. I am looking forward to the draft. I'm looking forward to this new new round of business with the NFL. I'm looking forward to see what the Saints do. Um, it, it's just a, it, I, I hate the length between things yeah. at this point. I'm just ready for it to happen. It, it, I'm, I don't want to see any more mock drafts. I don't want to hear anybody more interviews. <laughs> just get to this already. Because coaches know what they know. Scouts have made the decisions that they've made. This is all now yeah. just a poker game until we get to, to the draft day. Correct. Correct. Yeah. No, I'm, I'm looking forward to it. This is mo- one of the most exciting parts of the season, and it's not even the season. So uh, here we are less than two weeks away and I'm ready to get there. But it's a long two weeks. It's a long two weeks. It's a long long two two weeks. weeks. Ross, tell the folks what you got coming up and how they can follow you per usual. Yeah, absolutely. I know you just said, you know, I know you just said you're tired of them. I know you just said it, but over on Locked on Saints for today, I do have, no, no, no mock draft today. No mock draft today. But I do have an interview. Uh, So we saw the, we saw Doug. I'm not talking about you playing. No, 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 no. I know. I hear you. I'm just messing with you. But like we have, but this is exciting. Um, Doug Mouton did the interview at at WWL with Jabril Cox to where they talked about him, his visits, or his time and meetings and stuff like that with the New Orleans Saints. I got the rest of that interview. Uh, and was able to roll it on today's Locked on Saints. So you can hear more details about who Jabril uh, uh, patents his game after, why he's excited about New Orleans, why he was excited about coming to LSU, why he's looking forward to his pro day, and, and a ton more. So go and check that out. That's in the final segment of today's episode for the Friday episode of Locked on Saints. So it's an exclusive kind of add-on to WWL stuff. And then on Monday, we'll have more mock drafts. I'm just playing with you. Uh, but of course, everything else going on, over at Locked on Saints uh, as well, Monday through Friday, uh, which you can find wherever you get your podcasts. You can follow me, of course, on Twitter at Ross Jackson Nola. Two articles dropped today over at Canal Street Chronicles as well, taking a look at a, a mock draft that was based on betting odds, which was really interesting, the way that they they sort of set all of that out. I, I explained it in the article, let you know where the Saints go, and then you can see the rest of the uh, the article or the rest of the mock draft through a link in there as well, and then uh, some more highlights on that, uh, on that Jabril Cox interview as well. So lots of good stuff coming up. And you follow him at Ross Jackson Nola. And um, of course, the Locked on Saints podcast every day. You get 20 minutes, 25 minutes every day on Saints News. And Ross is all over the place. So when you follow his Twitter, you'll see everything. He posts <laughs> everything. Everything. <laughs> Try, man. Try to keep people up to date. You know what I'm saying? Right. <laughs> I mean, hey, like I said, busy is better. I yes, would rather be true. busy than not at this time of year, especially. So um, I appreciate everything that you do. And I'm, I'm glad we postponed aside i'm glad we got to do this again because it's Absolutely. Like, this, is, listen, this is one of my favorite things listen everybody that i talk to and you will not believe the amount of people that i talk to but everybody Are you doing that a farm I talk right to here is this a farm loves 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 the dome patrol here on hard in the paint everybody that i talk to so and they're incredibly many smart people, people. Many, many people, people. <laughs> many people <laughs> many people are saying the episode of the podcast every many people like the dome patrol so, you know, so ch- please, thank you, thank you to everybody who does um, let us know how much you like this. Um, we love doing it and uh, we love doing it for you. Um, y'all know how to get at me at DM Grub, Instagram, Twitter, and the website HITP with DG.com. And of course, rate the pod, subscribe, share it with your friends, um, however you like, and do the same for Ross on Locked On um, Saints. I was about to say Locked On Post, but uh, Locked On Saints. Good show too. Yes, it is. Same Locked On Network. So, um, with our friend Jake Madison, who we had on earlier this week. Yeah, I love him. So, um, until next week, which we should be back on Wednesday. Yes, yes. Until next week, for Ross Jackson, I am David Grubb, and this has been Hard to Pay.